Hey guys, Pastor Mike Reed here. Thankful that God led you to tune into this video sermon. Uh, our prayer is very simple. We pray that God would use the preaching of God's Word uh, to grow you more in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray it blesses you, nourishes you, and encourages you. Good morning. Good to see you all. Go ahead and grab a seat. See, the big crowd came today for the membership gathering, I'm assuming, uh, which is exciting. We're looking forward to that. If you don't know me, who I, who I am, my name is Mike McKinney. I am one of the pastors here at Church of Bergen, and we always want to make it abundantly clear why we're here. We're here to worship Jesus, uh, to celebrate Jesus Christ. His blood was shed for our sins. Uh, we, we know it can seem offensive in our culture, in our day and age, that to sell, tell every single person that they're a sinner, uh, but we are, and we cannot stand in and of ourselves, acceptable before God other than through Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the one who took our sins in his body and shed his blood on the cross for our sins to purchase forgiveness and then rose again from the dead to validate that what he did was sufficient. It was more than enough to pay for all of your sins, past, present, and future. That is worthy of worship, last time I checked. And so we gather here every Sunday to have our hearts stirred up and celebrate that. So everything we do, and on Sunday mornings, if this, this is kind of you're new to this, first time here, first time the church maybe, uh, everything we do here in this service serves to enhance your heart, to assist your hearts and your mind to enjoy and to be captivated by the love of Jesus. Uh, just one quick announcement. If you're interested in kind of uh, just what this church is all about and maybe even possibly pursuing membership. Uh, but even if you're not, not wanting to become a member, you just want to, you're just kind of curious about the story of this church, uh, what we kind of believe, how we govern ourselves. We're having a membership class, not a membership gathering. That's after this service here for the members who are currently members. Those of you who are interested in possibly becoming members, there's a class on November 17th from 1 to 3.30. Pastor Mike and myself will be here uh, to, to teach right in this auditorium to anyone who would like to, to come to that. Well, let's get to the good stuff. We're in our series in 1 Peter. Uh, the title is Elect Exiles, this idea that we are chosen and precious uh, in Christ by his grace, not because we are righteous in and of ourselves, not because we're really good people, not because they're winsome or smart or cute, uh, but God, by his grace, has rescued sinners and brought them into his family. And he's, by the blood of his son, purchased citizenship of an eternal, everlasting, joyful kingdom that is coming. That's why we're exiles here. The true kingdom is coming later. So we're just kind of wandering here. We don't get too comfortable here. We have a contentment in Christ that pulls our hands away from the things of this world and looks forward to the kingdom that is coming. Uh, but we have a job to do. And that's what Peter was written, First Peter was written to do, was to give a sense of encouragement and empowerment uh, to these elect exiles, they would live on mission despite the fact that they are strangers and aliens on this earth. Uh, well, Pastor Mike, two weeks ago, preached a, a sermon called Opposition is Mission, that as we face opposition from the culture, even when we pursue holiness and obedience and righteousness to Jesus Christ, we're going to stand out from the culture. We're probably going to get opposition from that. But that is not that opposition is an opportunity for mission. Uh, and then last week it was an opposition is mission, but love is mission. So even the way that we love each other serves as a testimony to the reality of Jesus Christ's love for us. 
Uh, and this week is going to be worship is mission. Uh, that Jesus Christ is building out of his people a vessel of glory and praise. That even as we worship and sing, that you must know there are people who are not Christians among us. And if you are here and you're not a Christian, we want to say we are so happy that you are here. There's no other place we'd rather you be uh, than here worshiping Jesus. But you need to know uh, that by the way that we worship today over the word and in response to the word, what this is going to say is it might actually draw you to Jesus. And we hope and pray that it does. Uh, before I dive into our passage, let me just pray and we will get started. Father, we thank you so much that Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus. We all need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. And Jesus Christ's blood is not only precious, uh, it is permanent. And so the payment paid when you died thousands of years ago uh, is sufficient to cover all of our sins. And we thank you that that enables us to freely come to you in joy and courage as your children asking for more help and encouragement. Pray that this word would build us up today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to begin with a question. Did you guys know that there are over one billion Instagram accounts in the world? That's crazy. Um, and I had to ask myself, why, what, what's the, what is contributing to the success of this app and you could argue this or that or this or that. And I read something this past summer that says um, that the ultimate, you know, boil it all down. The reason why this app is so successful is because the creators of this app know something about you and me. And it's this. We crave approval. We crave it. We need it. We've got to have it. If we don't have it, we don't know what to do with ourselves. And you need to know that's not, there's nothing bad about that because God has actually designed us to seek it outside, just not in the things of this world, but in him. And so when we have forsaken that, we, 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 we kind of like wander around trying to find other places. And just in case you're like me and you're tempted to self-righteousness, thinking that, well, I don't have an Instagram account, we try to find it in other places. Everyone's looking for it. And the reason why we crave it is because we want people to accept us rather than reject us. And few things are far more devastating than the feeling of rejection. And you know that feeling. You, have, you build up enough courage to say, I'm going to put myself out there, whether it's a job opportunity or a relationship or create a project that you're doing or something. You're like, okay, I'm going to do this. And you're like, boom. But then after like inspection and evaluation, someone or something says, I don't want you. And that's, that, like, that crushes us. It's devastating. Some of you bright right now are probably suffering from the consequences of that even today. This is devastating to us and it makes us feel useless like we don't belong. It makes us feel like we're maybe more fitted for the trash can than the nightstand. Um, but I'm here today to preach to you that Jesus wants the rejects. He wants those who have been rejected. And he can deeply identify with those who have been rejected. No other human has experienced such utter rejection than Jesus Christ. And so if you feel rejected, if you feel despised, you feel dishonored, you feel unwanted, you want to know that Jesus wants you. 
He wants to bring you in. He wants to build you up. And he wants to put you in this new thing that he's constructing. He's got this master plan that he's rolling out to bring in the rejects. And here's the illustration I thought of. I actually just went to Home Depot uh, with my daughters yesterday to get some screws. Uh, Jesus doesn't go to Home Depot to get fresh supplies to build a house. He goes to the junkyard. And he gathers broken, useless pieces, and he picks them all up, and he builds an awesome vessel of his glory and praise. And when that's built up and that continues to build up, the world kind of begins to scratch their head and say, what? You guys don't really care about the acceptance of man. You've, you found something better in Jesus. And so it actually causes them to be wooed into the reality and the beauty of the gospel of grace. And so Jesus, the big message today is Jesus wants to do some construction through rejection. He wants to do some construction through rejection, or to put it in layman's terms, Jesus builds up the beat down. Now, the structure of my sermon is a little bit unique today. Typically, an expositional sermon is a big fancy church word for like just preaching straight through verses of the Bible, as opposed to like topics and like bringing in different verses. Not that that's bad. We're not going to demonize that. But the typical diet here is expositional, just verse by verse by verse by verse by verse. Typically, it's consecutively. Today, I'm going to preach it logically. By that I just mean I'm going to start with the most foundational verse, the logical foundation of the passage, and then build up from there. So rather than go from verse 4 all the way down to 8, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. I'm going to start in verse 6 because it's the logical foundation of the entire passage. The reason why we know that and the reason why I'm doing that, first of all, the reason why I'm doing that is because I want the structure of my sermon to fit the structure of the message. So verse 6, if you look at it, it'll be up on the screen here. The first word, surprise, surprise, Pastor McKinney is pointing out a conjunction. The the first word in verse 6 is four. (laughs) I love it. Verse is is four. That means everything in this verse is the foundation or the basis for verses 4 through 5. Now what about verses 7 through 8? If you go to verse 7, the first word is so. That means the verses 7 through 8 are simply the implications flowing out of the foundational verse in verse 6. Point made. The logical foundation, the rock bottom foundation of the whole passage is verse 6. And what we're going to do is we're going to drill down to verse 6 first and then jump up to verses 4 through 5 and then jump down to verses 7 through 8 and see the implications of verse 6. So verse 6. Peter begins, for it stands in Scripture. Boom. Stands in the Bible. He he roots everything in the Word of God. If you want your message to have power, if you want your life to have a sense of stability and an absolute reality undergirding it, you build it on Scripture. It's the Word of God. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, it is God-breathed. The Greek word is theok, God, pinustos, breathed out. It was breathed out of the mouth of God. God can't lie. If this book came from his mouth, we have every right to confidence that we can stand upon it. So Peter begins his message rooting it and standing it upon Scripture, which is an unbreakable foundation. And he quotes this passage from the prophet of Uh, the mouth of Isaiah, chapter 28, and the context of this quote that is here here in the Old Testament, uh, 
Isaiah prophesied around the time right before uh, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. And this is essentially a prophecy of God speaking into the future beyond the destruction of the temple. And God's basically saying, I'm building something new. I'm going to lay a new foundation. This thing that was glorious, that, that King David's son had built, it was magnificent. Even the queen of Sheba came for out of nowhere just to see because she had heard about his fame and about the glory of his temple. It was destroyed by the Babylonians and never to return in its full glory. And God said, that's okay because I'm going to build something new even greater. He says, behold, this is, so this is uh, Isaiah speaking on behalf of God. Behold, I, God, am laying a foundation, or a, a, in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone. A lot of you know what a cornerstone is, a big, massive rock. I tried to find a picture of it, couldn't really find a really good one. But a big, big, massive rock at the corner of the foundation, and all the other stones are built from that point. If that is not there, the other ones are susceptible to falling apart. This is why Jesus is the cornerstone. If your life is not built on him, it is shaky grounds. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Through every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. He's the cornerstone. We build our lives there. And this cornerstone that God is going to be laying down is chosen and precious. It's a chosen one. It's a precious one. And it's being laid in Zion. Zion is literally, the first time it comes up is in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 7. And it's when David comes in, takes over the Jebusites territory, and establishes Jerusalem there. That's where Jerusalem is. But eventually it's destroyed. And Zion, through the, through the prophets, took on a deeper spiritual meaning of a future kingdom, a future city that God would set up someday where his Messiah, his Christ, would reign and rule over his people forever. So it's like, I'm laying in Zion, not the one that you saw destroyed, a, a, a future one, a cornerstone. But before this cornerstone becomes chosen and precious, if you just drop your eyes down to verse 7, the first, there's another Old Testament quote from Psalm 118, which says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So before it became the cornerstone laid, chosen, and precious, upon which all the other stones we built, it first was rejected. It had to first be rejected. It had to first be despised. It had to first be tossed aside. And then God's like, I'm going to build with that. This is why I say the message is construction through rejection. He builds something, constructs something through that which is rejected but this is no ordinary thing God is building. If you go back to verse 6, it's, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So it's not a literal temple. It's not a literal thing God has built. It's not literal stones. The cornerstone is a person. It's a man. It's Jesus. Ephesians 2 says, Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. If you believe in him, you will not be put to shame. So this, this thing God is laying down is not just, it's not just a, a block. It's not just a stone. It's a, it's a human being. And this human was rejected by men. 
God picked this man up, resurrected him, set him as a foundation, and said, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. By God, that is. That if you believe in this cornerstone, if you believe in Jesus Christ, God will never shame you. He will never shame you. He will never shame you. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He will never look at you with a disappointed, scowling eye. And this is the gospel. Construction through rejection, friends, is the gospel. Christ's rejection was his crucifixion and his reconstruction was his resurrection. That is the gospel. And here's the reality. He wasn't just rejected by men. When he was on the cross, yes, men were mocking him, belittling him, spitting at him, but it wasn't just men who were rejecting him. He was temporarily being rejected by God for us. Pastor Mike and I were at this uh, Acts 29 pastors, small gathering down in Philadelphia, and Paul Tripp came and spoke, and he had this one line that just, you know when you hear people just throw out these one-line zingers, and it's just like, oh. He said, Jesus bore every ounce of your shame that you might never see the back of God's head. Every ounce of your rejection. He bore every ounce of your rejection. You know, the Garden of Gethsemane is looking at the cup and it's full of God's wrath. That's essentially God's rejection. Hell is you are forever rejected by God. It's terrifying. And Jesus drank all the rejection you deserve from God. Like every ounce, it's gone. So you will never see the back of God's head. You will only see his face. You only see his smile. You ever... Think that God would smile at you? Some of you, I, I, you're Christians, I know, and you believe in Jesus, but you just, it's just hard for you to believe that God actually smiles at you. So we bore every ounce. This is, the construction through rejection is the gospel. And this is the foundation. This is verse six, where we have to start. You start there. This is why Church of Bergen is a gospel-driven church. We lay that foundation there. We're just going to preach that every single week. That's the rock-solid reality of our souls. If that's not there, I ain't living. So, if that's the foundation, what are the implications of that for us? Right? This is the foundation for verses 4 and 5 because this construction through rejection message is now, it's available to you. Whoever believes in him will not put to shame. So verse 4. I totally lost my point in my notes. I don't even know where I am. Verse 4. As you come to him, that is Jesus. As you come to Jesus, skip down to verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. When you come to this, when you come to Jesus, he doesn't shame you. He doesn't reject you. He builds you up. Anybody need building up? <laughs> Anybody need encouragement? Anybody feel shame? Anybody feel rejected? And just need someone to come alongside and say, come on, let's just keep going. 
Let's keep going. I'm with you. That's Jesus. As you come to him, he will not shame you. He will build you up. This is not just the moment of conversion. Yes, it is the moment of conversion when someone comes to Jesus, but this is a continual process for Christians. As you come, you are being built up. This is a daily practice, especially for the context of this book. These, people, these Christians are being persecuted, pushed to the, to, the, to the fringes of society, and Peter's like, you better keep coming back and getting built up or you ain't going to survive. So I'm telling you, some of you, you've given up on your context where you're at not because you're a bad Christian, not because you're a, that God's not like disappointed at you and shaming you or something, but you've given up on opening your mouth in your context that you're in because you're just not coming to Jesus to get built up. So some of you, you, you maybe you've tried, and I've talked to some of you, have a really, it's hard. And if you're not coming back to Jesus regularly, having him build you up, you're eventually, it's gonna become too much and you're gonna keep your mouth shut. And here's the thing, the more you open your mouth, the more that you share the gospel in your context, the more you're probably going to experience rejection like Jesus, and it's going to motivate you all the more to come back and be built up again. So it needs to be a regular process where you're constantly coming back to Jesus, forgive me, lead me, guide me, protect me, strengthen me, build me up, Lord Jesus. That was me this morning. (laughs) Every morning, I'm just like, Lord, here I am again. Help me. Help. So do you have a coming to Jesus plan? Let's get practical here. Do you actually have a plan? Like, what are you, how are you going to do it? How are you going to keep coming back to Jesus? What's the plan? You've got to have a plan. Is it going to be in the morning? What time? What are you going to set up? But you have to keep coming back to Jesus or you're not going to be built up. And this life is too hard for you not to come to Jesus. I don't know how. My wife and I talk about this all the time. If you're here, not a Christian, I, no offense. I don't know how you're going through life without Jesus. I love you, but when you get to know Jesus, you're like, how do people live? I don't understand. And, and if you have a question, about, if you're not a Christian, you have a question, come talk to me and we'll, 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 we'll duke it out or something. In love, of course. So you gotta keep coming back to Jesus. Now, why would anyone want to come to Jesus? Why would you want to come to Jesus? Why come back? Because he can sympathize with you on two things. The rejection and the fight to hold your identity in the Father's love. He understands the rejection and the fight for identity. Look, as you come to him, because I asked myself when I was looking at this passage, why did Peter include the phrase in between verse 4 and 5? As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones being built up. Why not just save us some time, bring four and five together, and shorten the verse? Because he's trying to provide you with a theological allurements to come to Jesus. He was rejected by men, a living stone rejected by men. He understands the rejection. He understands the shame. He understands what it's like. There's no other person who's been rejected like Jesus. I mean, I was reading the other day in, in the Gospels, there was actually a moment when people did not want him so badly, they actually drove him to a cliff to try to push him off. His own family was embarrassed of him. 
So we understand the rejection. So no matter how despised or shamed or ridiculous or dumb you feel, like whatever you feel, Jesus feels compassion towards you. Like his heart, like, longs for you to come to him. Because he understands and he knows. And in fact, all the shame and the ridiculousness you feel, it does not deter him from being compassionate towards you. It only moves him to feel more compassion towards you. And I was talking with a guy after the first service, and he's Italian, so he was like, uh, you know, I, I, it's so hard, because every time I try to come back to God, I always feel like he's like, you know, he's like, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, that's your problem. You think God's an Italian. <laughs> I'm just, no, we laugh. We laugh. And I asked him, I asked him if I could share this. He said I could. Um, we laugh, but one of the reasons you you, you put your tail between your legs and you're afraid to come back to God is because you think that he's like. <sighs> now, I should stop doing that because you're going to, I don't want you to laugh right now, okay? <laughs> we think that like God's just like disappointed all the time. And we just sang like the Father's arms are open wide. Like, you need to start believing that God is compassionate towards you. And he's not, like, folding his arms. Well, you're my son, so I guess i got to, like, you know, be patient with you. Jesus understands. He knows what it's like. And so he's, when you understand what someone's going through, it just kind of softens you up a little bit. The other thing is Jesus understands the fight for identity, Right? A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. So he's rejected by the entire world, and yet chosen and precious in the sight of God. So the world rejects him, and yet the creator of the world loves him. That's hard. To fight for that reality that God loves me no matter how many people reject me. Jesus understands that. I lost my place again. Where am I? Um, <laughs> when he was on earth, he had to cling to his identity in his father because he wasn't getting acceptance from the world. This is what a Christian is called to. To be willing to be rejected by the world with God's love as the only anchor for your soul. Are you willing to be rejected by everyone in your life, everyone in your life, having only the acceptance of Jesus? That is what a Christian is. Paul said in Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There are two people in this world, those who seek the approval of man and those who seek the approval of Christ. And if your heart cares more about the approval of man, you automatically disregard this one. It's one or the other. The fear of man will make you do crazy things. It will make you betray Jesus in order to get a few more likes on Instagram, a higher salary, or just a few more people applauding your efforts. And I know that I can speak for Pastor Mike and I both, and the whole elder board. Our fruitfulness as pastors 
is inversely related, proportional to how significant and how important we think we are. The more important I think I am, the less my fruitfulness goes down. The more important I think I am, the more I will labor to preserve and polish people's perception of me. And I will eventually stab Jesus in the back. If you are more passionate about the preservation of your reputation in Bergen County, you will conform to the pattern of this world no matter how much you cloak yourself in Christian garb. It's going to happen. It says, verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. The one you're believing in and loving and worshiping and trusting and cherishing was rejected by the entire world. This is one of the, this is the one you're believing in and following. Jesus never promised you that he would make much of you. He never promised you that he would make much of you. He only promised you the joy of making much of him. I'm going to say that again because you can tweet that if you want because that's awesome. Jesus never... I just contradicted like everything I was saying. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, all right. Yes, thank you, thank you. Jesus never promised you that he would make much of you. He only promises you the privilege and the joy of making much of him. And so when you come to Jesus, it's not, I'm going to come to you on one condition, that you do this thing over here. It's simply, you say with Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, the verse that literally changed my life when Samuel said, speak, Lord, your servant hears. You just say, speak, whatever you say, I'll do. You say it, I will do it. You want me to go be a missionary to some place in Africa? I will do it. If you want me to go here and be a missionary, you want me to go be here and go be a missionary, you want me to speak this to this person over here, my neighbor, I will do that. Because he's building you up, not for you, but for him. And this is what we're leading to, right? So he... He's building us up as we come to Jesus. He builds us up into what? What is he building us up to? Construction through rejection. What is he constructing? What exactly is he making? He's making a vessel of his glory and praise. It says in verse 5, You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There is simply way too much in verse 5 for us to exhaust everything. Uh, it drove me nuts trying to figure out what I was going to say. That's kind of the, one of the most frustrating things about preaching. There's all these treasures in the passage, and you have to figure out which treasures not to show people. <laughs> Just two things. Number one, it says to be a holy priesthood. That means, that's very simply, you don't need a priest, you are a priest. Some of you may have, I mean... I'm going to do this very gently. I'm graciously stepping on toes right now. Tenderly stepping on toes. Some of you may have Catholic backgrounds. You don't need to go to a priest to meet with Jesus. You go straight to Jesus. You go straight to Jesus. Jesus does not say, 
oh, don't come to me. Go talk to this person. And this person over here will talk to me for you. He says, no, come to me. As you come to him, you go straight to Jesus. He wants to deal directly with you. This is one of the most amazing things that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So you are a priest, but what, for what, what's the, here's the ultimate thing he's building. A spiritual house, a living temple, filled with priests, us, a priesthood. We go straight to Jesus to do what? To offer, last phrase, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Not literal sacrifices, animals, blood, guts, spilling everything, but spiritual sacrifices motivated by the Spirit of God. Everything we do now, everything, our whole lives, Romans 12, Romans 12, 1 says, our whole life is a spiritual sacrifice. Everything we do that is through Jesus Christ is acceptable to God. So when we come to Jesus, his chosenness and his preciousness is imputed to us. It's ours. He's chosen. He's precious. When we come to Jesus, that is given to us. And now everything that we do is through Jesus Christ, and it's acceptable to God. Everything is through Jesus Christ, acceptable to God. This is why Christians believe in the, that salvation is only in Jesus Christ. The only way to find acceptance with your creator is through Jesus Christ. The only reason you can find acceptance with God through Jesus Christ is we said earlier, he was the one who was rejected for you. He bore every ounce of your rejection that you might never see the back of God's head. Because he did that and was reconstructed in this resurrection for you, you can now, everything you do, your whole life is pleasing to God as long as it's done for Christ's sake. So this is the implication for believers, right? Jesus is the cornerstone. He was rejected, but then resurrected, and the foundation was laid upon him, and everyone who comes to him is built upon him into this spiritual vessel in which we can offer worship and praise to Jesus. And Paul the Apostle actually talks about the way in which our congregational aspect here of worshiping to Jesus is actually evangelistic, he says in 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about prophecy, but we're not about to get into spiritual gifts right now, okay? So just, just listen to the last part here. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So as we gather together and we revel in our acceptability through Jesus. We revel in that, we, we treasure that. We are exposing to those in this room who are not believers the futility of the acceptance of man and the everlasting joy and rock-solid basis of the acceptance of, found in Christ. And they say, man, they seem really happy with Jesus. I want some of that. And so our worship is mission. So now, the last part here. So that's the implication for believers. Now we'll wrap it up with unbelievers. Everything hinges on Jesus. Everything hinges on Jesus. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. So those who come to him in faith are built on him. What about those who reject him? Verse 7. 
So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. It describes in verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Those who reject Jesus is because they stumble over Jesus like a stone. They stumble over him because... It seems foolish. This message seems ridiculous. And so they reject it and they stumble over this message. And so rather than be built or constructed into the people of God, they will be deconstructed under the judgment of God. Matthew 21, Matthew, uh, Jesus actually quotes this verse and says, everyone who falls upon this stone will be broken into pieces and everyone will be crushed who falls underneath this stone. But this, he throws in this last sentence here, which is tough. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined, destined to do. If you are wondering if this last sentence is alluding to the teaching of predestination, the answer is yes. I've studied this verse um, and there's all different ways that people try to get around what it actually seems to be saying. What does it seem to be saying? It seems to be saying that if someone finally, that's the key word, finally, if someone ultimately, their life, at the, at the end of their life, they finally and fully reject Christ, if someone finally rejects the cornerstone, that was their destiny. God had destined them for this. And what were they destined to do? It says it. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined. They were destined to disobey and reject this gospel. And let's just be honest and humble ourselves before this teaching. Uh, this is not a sermon on predestination. So I'm sure there's lots of questions. This is not the place to answer the questions. What I want to encourage you is to like this teaching requires a tremendous amount of humility. And I'm asking you to, to humble yourself under this teaching, which is that God is so sovereign over those who come to Christ and over those who reject Christ. And some of you might be thinking, and I totally understand why, that that doesn't seem fair and that God is forcing people to accept or reject. And let me be clear, there's nowhere in the Bible that says that anyone is ever forced to do anything. If someone accepts Jesus or rejects Jesus, it's because they wanted to accept him or they wanted to reject him. But in some mysterious way, this last phrase, Peter's saying, God is in control of it all. And he's determining it all. And you say, how does that work? How can, how can God be totally sovereign over those who come to Jesus and those who reject Jesus, but us still be held accountable and still be freely choosing? I don't know. Don't ask me. The Bible doesn't explain that for me, but here's my encouragement. We ought not to try to force God into our humanly constructed rational, logical boxes. Like he's God. He's God. What makes us think that we can figure out all the depths and the eternal counsels of his ways? Rather than, let me encourage you, because here's my ultimate question. Why is Peter putting this in here? 
He, he was doing so great. He was, come to Jesus, right? <laughs> Seriously, you're doing so great. Come to Jesus. We built up. Okay, yes. As they were destined to do. What? Ah, that's harsh. Like, why did he end on this? You need to realize, Peter's a pastor. He's not just throwing theology at your face. Like, he's giving it to you for a reason. So ask yourself, why would Peter be showing us this here? And I actually, praise God, one of my favorite commentators, Tom Schreiner, has a commentary in 1 Peter. He answered this question. He says, why did Peter emphasize the theme of God's sovereignty here? He did so to comfort his readers, assuring them that the evil in this world is not sundered from God's control. God still reigns even over those who oppose him and the believers he's writing to. I would also add that this teaching humbles the hell out of you, literally. Literally. Like, if I think that ultimately me being included and brought into this temple was not ultimately up to me, but it was up to God by no inherent awesomeness in me, I'm a sinner. Like, you and I, we both know each other. We know what's really on the inside of us. We know who we really are. And yet, why am I included into this? And if I realize, if I believe, honestly, it was totally all, literally all God. I have nothing to stand on. I have nothing to boast in. When I say I boast in Jesus, I can actually mean 100% I boast in Jesus. I, I don't claim a point one. It is 100 Christ. And this really humbles you. It's, it's, it's impossible to be proud and arrogant with this reality. So let me ask you a question. If Christ was reconstructed through his resurrection for you, and if you, through reject, though rejected by the world, are being reconstructed by God into a vessel of his glory and praise, and if your life is built upon the solid rock and cornerstone of the blood of Jesus Christ, and if God is totally in control over those who oppose Christ, oppose the gospel, and oppose you as you proclaim the gospel, then who or what are you afraid of? That's the point. Peter, as Pastor Mike, I'm going to steal his phrase last week, he wants to put spiritual spine, excuse me, steel in your spine. If I believe that God is reigning and ruling and, and governing all that comes my way, including those who oppose the message, I have nothing to fear because God is seeing it all. He has my best interest in mind. And if he's, if he's the one in control of it all, I can actually have hope that the most hardened hostile and hateful unbeliever could actually be saved. That if, if God, if God's in control of that person, well, who, how do I know who? That's not, no, 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 don't. God has not, he has not shared that with us. He just said, you share the message and you leave the saving up to me. I will save anyone and everyone I please and you, I will get all the glory for it. And so today we're going to, our worship today is going to be a witness, and we're going to sing. Uh, next song we're going to sing is Amazing Grace, uh, Broken Vessels, the Hillsong version. And there's this uh, part in the song that says this, you take our failure, you take our weakness, you set our tre your treasure in jars of clay. Next phrase. So take this heart, Lord, I'll be your vessel, the world to see your life in me. That is the sermon. We come with our failures, we come with our brokenness, we come with our weaknesses, and Jesus takes them all and he builds them up into a vessel for his glory and praise for the world to see.
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he's our cornerstone, that we can set our souls upon him, be strengthened, encouraged, and built up in him. We love Jesus, that our life is built on his blood and righteousness. We ask, Lord Jesus, that this song, as we sing it, would serve as a witness to those here who, whose hearts have not been changed for the gospel. And that they would sense and they would get a whiff of the beauty and the grace of Jesus. And they would come and they would embrace him. May our worship be a witness to the truth of you, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.